Well, I, I'm excited about what God's up to, and, and this morning, as you turn in your Bibles to Mark chapter 5, I'm going to do something a little bit different, maybe, that you're not supposed to do when, when, when you preach. I'm just going to just tell you right up front what, what I want to challenge us to do. For every single person that's had an undeniable encounter with Jesus Christ, you've been saved, you've been set free, you've been redeemed, and you know it, you, you know it, you have that assurance. I am praying that over the next few minutes as we spend this time together studying the word of God, that God begins to stir your heart and that you would understand that you have not just been saved and called to be a better person and to pay some tithe money and just to sit in a seat on a Sunday, but God has actually given you a testimony and a story that needs to be shared. He has actually invested you with a testimony that somebody else needs to hear. Because there is one thing that nobody can argue with, and that is the story of a changed life. A testimony that says, before Christ, I was, but since Christ, I am. And today, I don't want to hide anything as we jump in. We're in this series called Let It Be Known. And we're talking about faith and, and we, you know, laid the foundation in Hebrews 11 last week and actually the last two weeks. And we'll be coming back to Hebrews 11, but today we're going to share the testimony of a very unlikely man here in Mark chapter 5. And, you know, for the disciples of Jesus, to give you a little context, I mean, this day is getting ready to go from bad to worse. And so when it comes to the disciples, the guys that are following Jesus, a lot of them came from, from uh, a fishing career. They knew the Sea of Galilee like the, back of their, like the back of their hand. And they, honestly, when it came to storms, they had seen some storms. But the end of chapter four, we see that a storm broke out and this was unique. They feared for their lives. They didn't think they were going to make it. Now, Jesus was asleep in the, in the boat, and, and they're, they're freaked out. They, they wake him up, and, and to their astonishment, Jesus actually rebukes the sea, and like immediately the storm ceases, and it says that they were afraid. And the reason they feared was more of an, a marveling thing, like, are you kidding me right now? Because Jesus just, just showed them that he had power over nature. Well, if you've ever been in, in a, in a the situation where your adrenaline spikes, you know, maybe, you know, you're in a situation where you almost had a wreck or, or something happened. You doesn't, you know, you just have that moment of what is going on. Once that moment passes, you're left with, you're almost shaking. The adrenaline, the adrenaline is just draining out of your body. And so I can imagine as they got to shore, man, they stumble out of the boat and they just kind of collapse on the shore. Like, are you kidding me? But there wasn't going to be too much calm because we pick up our reading. Mark says this in verse 5, when they came to the other side of the sea, to the country of the Gerasenes, when Jesus had stepped out of the boat, immediately, this is one of Mark's favorite words, but immediately there met him out of the tombs, a man with an unclean spirit. He lived among the tombs. Let me pause there. Uh, the, the tombs, they were they they would have just been some caves and that sort of thing in the in the in that area where they laid dead people uh, not a place that you want to hang out right he's living there and we we read more about him in this description no one could bind him anymore not even with a chain for he had often been bound with shackles and chains, but he'd wrenched the chains apart and he broke the shackles in pieces. No one had the strength to subdue him. Night and day among the tombs and on the mountains, he was always crying out and cutting himself with stones. Now, I want to pause here. Keep your Bibles open. We're coming back. But have you ever had the neighbor 
that just, you weren't really sure you wanted them in the neighborhood. Maybe it's they're loud, you know, at three o'clock in the morning, they're the apartment underneath you, they decide that's when they want to get the band together to start practicing. Or maybe it's just you know, there's always something going on or there's fighting. You, you, you have that neighbor. Some of you might be that neighbor. I don't know. I'm just saying that this is, this is not the guy you want living in your neighborhood. Can you imagine? You walk out and you're in the area and you hear this, this haunt, just a haunting wailing that's coming from the part where you go to bury people. And it's this guy that he's just, he's moaning. He's, he's demon-possessed. He's demon-possessed. Now, as we're going through this passage, we're going to get to the part about sharing your story, but there are a few points that I want us to make. And the first point that I want you to, to write down is this. Demonic power is real and it is destructive. Now, I want to say that because in this day and age, when we think about uh, you know, demonic power, demons, or evil, or whatever. And we, we actually, we want to be entertained by that. And I'm going to meddle here for a second. But evil is nothing to be entertained by. One of the most sickening things that I just saw is that this documentary, Dahmer, is one of the most watched documentaries ever on Netflix. It's It's ridiculous. And I'm like, why do, we, why do we need to be entertained by evil? I hear a lot of amens there. That's good, that's good. You know, because in this day and age, we're like, well, here's the deal. It's entertaining because it's not real. No, it's real. In fact, I would say it's irrational to believe in a personal God, but yet to say that there's no such thing as a personification of evil. That, that doesn't make any sense to me. And even in people that, that attend here, I've, I've got pushback. Anytime that, that I preach or, or talk about this thing, like, well, no, actually, like when the Bible talks about the impossession, it's just because they couldn't differentiate between like people that had mental conditions. They didn't have, you know, any idea of mental illness back there. And so they called it demon possession. I don't think that's a true. In fact, it actually might be the other way. There are times that we don't understand how much that, that there is and the demonizing has taken place even today. And, and in fact, it's, I, I, actually, let me just real quick say, because I, I, I'm sure that there are in some ancient practices, when, when you don't have knowledge, we try to come up with ways to explain things. So I, there might be some truth in some ways, but the Bible takes a very complex, nuanced view of the whole of human condition. And it's interesting that even Matthew, when he is writing about all the people that were either bringing people to Jesus, and in Matthew uh, chapter 424 specifically, it says that they brought to him the, the diseased or the ill, the demon-possessed, the, uh, the epileptic, uh, and, and those who were paralyzed, and it says that Jesus healed them all. Now, the reason why I, I make, the, you know, when we... We see epileptic, you know, immediately we think of epileptic seizure and that sort of thing, and that is a very real thing. But the Greek word that is translated epileptic in the ESV and other versions, it's just not polite. Uh, it's actually tra uh, translated lunatic, and the reason why is because that Greek word, it referred to anyone who had some mental condition, uh, something that could not be explained. So what, what, what they're doing is they do differentiate between the demon-possessed, those who have something that cannot be explained, whether it be a mental issue or there's no control over, over their body, there's, you know, there's something, those that are, that are diseased and paralyzed. 
demonic power is real and it is destructive. Now, it's interesting because in Scripture, when, when you, you'll see there's, there's a, the word possessed will show up every once in a while. And, and possessed is, is something that looks at uh, the state of, of someone who is under the influence of, 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 of evil, of demons. But there's actually another phrase that sometimes, that it's, it's, uh, it's a Greek word that is translated different ways, but it's, it, it actually, the closest word that we could come up with to describe this is, is demonizing or demonized, someone who is being demonized. Because a lot of times we, we think that demon possession is just someone like this guy who's the very personification of, 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 that, of just pure evil. I will tell you, I've been a pastor now for 11, just here at Grace, 11 years, have over 20 years in the ministry. I've only once or twice, maybe three times, seen a person where it was very clear, like there was weird stuff. You're like, no, this is, this is demon possession. But I've seen a lot of cases in which demonizing has taken place. And here's what I mean by this, because Satan, it says, Paul, Paul writes in 1 Corinthians, that Satan disguises himself as an angel of light. It's not like he just shows up and says, hey, man, let's make a pack. I'm going to make a pack with the devil. And, you know, that normally doesn't happen. There's more of a gradual because we see this guy. At one time, he was able to be subdued. He is no longer, as Mark's describing, no longer able to be subdued. And what we see is, is that sin, is that, old, that old phrase, sin will take you farther than you want to go. Sin will cost you far more than you want to pay. And, and honestly, sin will be so gradual that along the way you don't realize what it's doing it's as you're being demonized. And we can enjoy the pleasure or the power that comes from sin for a season and then one day get to the place where we don't even understand we're enslaved by sin. And I don't know why I need to pause and say this. I didn't say this in the first service. But there potentially is someone here today that you know exactly what it is that I'm talking about. You find yourself enslaved by sin. If this is you, I want you to listen to the rest of what I'm going to be sharing because there is some good news for you where you find yourself. Because the story doesn't end here in, in verse five. Um, we, you know, there's, there's more to the story. Because this, this area, Gerasenes, there, there's a little history that we need to understand. This was a, an, an area in which the Roman army, uh, mo most of the Roman army was occupied on the west side of the Sea, the sea of Galilee in this area called the Decapolis. Decapolis is just a Greek word that means 10 cities. There were 10 cities in this region. But, but the Roman army was far enough away from Jerusalem where they could respond to an uprising, but, but not too close, where they would unnecessarily antagonize the Jews. And so the majority of the people that lived in this Decapolis were Gentiles. They were not Jews. They were, they were Gentiles. The major, uh, one of the, the major uh, forms of economic growth and that sort of thing had to do with raising pork. The reason why they raised pork on this side was because pork was a major staple of the Roman army's diet. And so they, they made a lot of money selling pork to the, to the army that was stationed there. Now, you, you got to understand that this whole area, uh, the reason Jews didn't live over here, because this is an unclean thing, because if you know anything about Old Testament law, pork, they don't, they don't eat it. It has nothing to do. They're not going to have that as part of their diet or, or anything like that. You, you, you also see that, that we have a guy, he's not just living in this area, but he's also living among 
tombs. Again, Old Testament law, if, if you had any contact with the dead, you were considered ritually unclean. And there was a whole purification process that you would have to go through and all this. This guy, he, man, he's unclean in almost every way. And then we know that there's evidence of this demonic uh, possession that, that, that we have. I mean, this guy has some issues. So we pick up our reading here. When he, the man, sees Jesus from afar, he runs and fell down before him, and he cries out with a loud voice, and he said, what have you to do with me, Jesus, son of the most high God? First of all, notice that Jesus had never introduced himself. He recognized Jesus. What do you have to do with me, Jesus, son of the most high God? I adjure you, he invokes the name of God. I adjure you, by God, do not torment me. For he was saying to him, this is what Jesus was saying to him, come out of the man, you unclean spirit. And Jesus asked him, what is your name? And he replied, my name is Legion, for, me are, for we are many. And Legion's a, a Roman word that is a military term that refers to usually uh, a group of, uh, at least after Julius Caesar's reign, it would refer to a group of around 6,000 soldiers. So when he says Legion, he just, we are many demons that are possessing this man. And, and then we see this weird thing. It says he begged him, Legion begged him earnestly not to send them out of the country. Now, I want to pause here because we need to acknowledge something. Because while demonic possession is, is real, it is destructive, I, I want you to get this point. Demons are scared to death of Jesus. They are scared to death of Jesus. When it says that, that this man ran to him and bowed down, the, the word that is translated uh, uh, bowed down it, this phrase, it, it, it's a word when used elsewhere through the New Testament, it refers to worship. And can I just remind us that, that Paul said in Philippians 2 that there is coming a day where at the name of Jesus, every single knee will bow and declare him to be Lord. Is that awesome or what? That is good stuff right there. And so we see this guy, this, this man has not been able to be subdued by anyone or anything and what subdues him is sheer terror. He is scared to death of Jesus. He's demonstrate, demonstrating submission. It's kind of like, I've got a, a black lab, lab named Zoe, and um, she's a pretty good dog, but she's got her moments. Like she's, I don't think she's totally delivered, man. She needs Jesus. And so, so it's like, like, so yesterday she was doing something and I can't remember what she got into or whatever. And so I said, Zoe, and that's all I got to say. Don't tell me dogs don't have a conscience. She was me like. <laughs> and, and, and so I said, Zoe, what did you do? She moved from this. She literally rolled over on her belly and just laid out like this. Like, do with me much, you must. You know, like. This is the picture I want us to get of, of the demon. And I want to say something. Did you know that demons' beliefs are orthodox? They're better believers than many of us. They know who Jesus is. They know what Jesus can do. There is a demon network and the word has gotten out that Jesus Christ is Lord. And so they might be at the heart of heresy. They might be at the heart of all sorts of, of false religion, but they know who Jesus is and they know what Jesus teaches. Well, you mean, you know, you mean they, they know that there's a plan to, to send them to the lake of fire? Absolutely. Do they know that Jesus will be their judge? Yes, they do. Do they know that he has the power to, to bind them and, and send them everlastingly to hell? Yeah, 
Do they know there's a final judgment to, to be rendered and, 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 and they're going to be bound for a time when the, when the earth is renewed and restored in the great and glorious kingdom of Messiah and they're going to be sent to the lake of fire? Yeah, they know this. What they don't understand, what's going on here, that they don't understand is the timing. In fact, it's interesting, Matthew also provides an account of this story. He talks, there's two guys that are living there, but there's one guy that Jesus interacts with here. And, and the question is, is this, he, he, he catches this question. They ask, have you come to torment us before the time? And, and you're like, well, what, what's the big deal about that? Well, demons also have a pretty good view of eschatology. We're arguing, we got charts and all that sort of thing about when Jesus is coming back and what it's gonna look like. They, they know that Jesus hasn't come to do his final judgment on, 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 on demons with his first coming. He's gonna do that at his second coming. And so they ask that question. When they ask the question, have you come to torment us before the time? What they're confused about, it's not time yet. This is why they're begging for Jesus not to do to them now what they know is coming later. It's kind of interesting, these things that we can just read over and then just miss. And so we keep reading because the story doesn't end here. Now a great herd of pigs was feeding there on the hillside and they begged him, Beg Jesus saying, send us to the pigs, let us enter them. And by the way, if, you, if a question comes to you, like, what's getting ready to go down and what I'm getting ready to read, I don't get this either. So he gave them permission and the unclean spirits came out and entered the pigs and the herd numbering about 2,000 rushed down the steep bank into the sea and drowned in the sea. The herdsmen fled and told it in the city and in the country and people came to see what it was that had happened. And they came to Jesus and they saw the, the terrible neighbor, demon-possessed man, the one who had the legion sitting there, clothed and in his right mind, and they were afraid. And those who had seen it described to them what had happened to the demon-possessed man and to the pigs, and they began to, to beg Jesus to depart from the region. Now, I want you to catch that the disciples were afraid when they saw that Jesus had power over nature these people were afraid when they saw that Jesus had power over demons. Now, I want you, I just, can I say this? We're going to talk about telling your story. It's where we're going to end up. There are going to be times when you begin to share your testimony, and there are going to be times that people reject you not, and, and reject the story just because they are scared of what Jesus might do to them. They're scared of what, what Jesus might do. And, 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 and like, there are some things that, that when it's outside of our control, it freaks us out. Because when, we, when, we're, when we're operating outside of our control, we're either operating uh, with fear or with faith. And people don't have faith. They're afraid. And so the, the, the people, they're, they're begging Jesus to leave but here's, here's what I love. And, and man, this is for, for you that are, that are here. And like I said, if, if you find yourself enslaved and man, you've tried to, to break free and you've done everything you know to do and you're like, man, there's no hope for me. Listen to me. Jesus can completely deliver sinners. Jesus can completely say, I love how the Hebrews writer said it in Hebrews 7.25. He is able to save to the uttermost. He's able to redeem, to completely set free. He, listen, Jesus does more than save. Jesus knows how to deliver. Now, the deliverance might not look exactly like you want to. He might start the process, but then he wants you to trust him and he's gonna walk with you or he might instantly deliver. But I'm telling you, we serve a Lord and Savior 
He can save and he can deliver. And while I don't know what the part the pigs played and all that sort of thing, I know that, you know, that's why the herdsmen were freaked out, probably why the, you know, the people didn't want him out, but they're, they're freaked out of what Jesus might do next. All I know is that God cares about, more about souls than he cares about money. That God values souls more than anything else. And I can tell you this, when Jesus shows up and he begins to save a person, he can sometimes and will many times do it in such a way that it blows away the person that was praying for them and the person itself. They never saw it coming. I would like for you real quick, do this for me. Who's the person in your life? You're like, it might be a celebrity, it might be a family member, it might be just somebody like, that is the impossible person that Jesus can't save. If that, if that name comes to mind, you need to just say a prayer for them right now because Jesus is able. Amen. Jesus is able to deliver and he sets free. Everybody shows up. Here's the crazy neighbor, the unclean sitting there clothed and in his right mind. And if the story stopped here, this is amazing. We're like, this is awesome. This is unreal, but it didn't stop here. We gotta read some more. It says that after they asked Jesus to leave, Jesus is getting into the boat. He's getting ready to leave. And this weird interaction takes place. And the reason why I say it's weird is because up to this point, every time Jesus has healed somebody, he said, I don't want you to say anything about it. Don't tell anybody. But this time, this guy who's just been delivered, we don't know what the time period is between the deliverance and then, you know, the guy's fleeing, bringing back, bringing back other people from the cities. He's clothed, and so there's been some conversation. There's something going on, but we just know that when Jesus is getting ready to leave, in, in verse 18, it says, the man who had been possessed with demons begged Jesus that he might be with him, and Jesus did not permit him. But he said, go home to your friends, and tell them how much the Lord has done for you and how he's had mercy on you. But Jesus, I, man, I just wanna be in your presence. Jesus, can, can you disciple me for a while? Jesus, I wanna learn because I don't know what I'm doing. He's like, no, 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 no. No, I, I want you to go home and I want you to tell your friends what I've done for you. I want you to lift your voice, open your mouth, and I want you to tell how I've had mercy on you. And here's the last thing that I want us to, to grab this morning. It's this. Jesus commissions the unqualified and the disqualified. Jesus commissions the unqualified and the disqualified, which is crazy because if you read through scripture, the very first preacher and evangelist that Jesus sends out, before he sent out his apostles, before he gave the great commission, before he ever, before he ever uh, sent out the 70 that we read about in Luke 10, the very first guy that Jesus sent out was a guy whose only story was this. Hey, before Jesus, I was a naked maniac living in a graveyard unclean, have no hope. I didn't even know Jesus existed. I'm possessed. And yet Jesus showed up and he set me free. And I think there are a lot of times where like, man, I've got to have, I've got to have some, some experience. I got to have some training. I got to go to Bible college. I got to be a disciple for years before I can do this because I'm going to screw things up. No, you're not. There are times that Jesus says, I just want you to share your story. Oh, oh, but no, no, I, you know, I, I don't have charisma. He doesn't need your charisma. He doesn't need your training. He doesn't need all your knowledge. He doesn't need any lily white righteousness. He doesn't need anything other than your obedience to say, before Jesus I was and since Jesus I am. Right. And I told you that throughout 
this series, we were going to be hearing story after story. And what we're going to do here just for a second is we've got a, a group of people that are lined up here. And we're going to share testimonies. Before Jesus I was, because of Jesus I am, the band is going to play and they're going to sing an incredible song. And as the team is, is coming up, I want you to, what, what we're doing here this morning, I'm not even, I mean, if you want to sing along, feel free to, but the point is not you singing along. The, the, the point of this is us celebrating what God is able to do. I want us to, as, 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 the, as the team walks up, they're going to share this or they're not going to say a word. Guys, if we've ever celebrated anything, can we celebrate the transformation that could take place when Jesus rocks a life and changes them? When he brings somebody from, from darkness to light, or we're going to have that opportunity. So if you've ever got loud, today's the time to get loud. Oh man, okay, I'm going to have you sit down just for a second, just for a second. Because there's more to the story. You see, every person that walked up here and what they just said, their story is a version if you find yourself enslaved, what God can do for you. It could be your story. It's really, here's what I want to say. Here's what I want to say. If you hear anything, the last thing I want you to think about as you walk out is this. My story is God's glory. My story, any story, any person to say, transform, delivered. My story is God's glory. Let me tell you the rest of the story. In Mark chapter seven, Jesus comes back. He'd only, the first time he showed up to this Decapolis region was here. He was only there for a, for a little while that made him leave. We don't know if it was weeks, months, however long it was, we see in chapter seven, he shows back up. And it says, when he came back to the region of Decapolis, they brought to him a man who was deaf and had a speech impediment and they begged him to lay his hand on him. And what we see is he healed this man. And then it was just a stream of people that started coming to him, bringing person after person after person. And he healed them all. We get to the, the beginning of Mark chapter eight. And it says a large crowd has gathered and he has to do, it's a second miracle where he feeds a crowd. He'd already fed 5,000. He feeds 4,000 men. We don't know how many women and children. But, but my, my question and all this, we've never thought about this. Where did the crowds come from? Jesus had only showed up and literally been, been ushered out. He didn't, he didn't get to do anything except he healed and delivered one demon-possessed guy. I'm going to tell you what took place. A guy went and did what he was called to do. He went to the 10 cities of the capitalist and said, guys, you know me. I was the bad neighbor. Before Christ, I was a naked maniac living in a graveyard. Look what Jesus did. If Jesus can do this for me, Jesus can do it for you. Church, we underestimate the power of our story. We underestimate the fact that through all of, all of the craziness of this world, we think, I can't do anything. What can I do? We've been given a story. If you're saved today, you have been delivered. You've been brought from darkness to light. You have a story to share. Church, God did not call us to be trophies in a trophy case. He says, go be my ambassadors, my messengers. Share your story, make disciples. And that's not for professionals, it's for anybody who's been changed. So church, as we leave here today, may we leave? Yes, let's seek Jesus. Let's spend time with Jesus, but don't substitute 
thinking that I've been saved to just become this perfect person who I just, I can feel really good about myself. No, you have been saved to be part of the kingdom because can I tell you that God's plan for reaching the church or for, for reaching the world is his church. It's you and me. So church, remember, my story is God's glory. Go share your story. Father, may we leave here inspired. First of all, inspired at what we've seen you do in the lives of people that we worship with. But God, we all have a story if we've been saved. And God, I pray that even for the person that has been, they've even given up hope on themselves. They're not sure that this is for us. I can't do this. I can't. May they understand they can't, but you can. And God, I pray that they would experience you in a powerful way. Break chains, deliver, save. But God, once you've done this, may we go out and tell the world that before Jesus I was, but since Jesus I am, may we share our story. And for what you're going to do is your people testify to your amazing work in our lives. May you receive the glory and the praise. And we pray this in the powerful name of Jesus Christ. And all God's people said, amen. Go share your story, church. Let's go.